0: You're listening to New Life Washington Podcast. We pray this sermon encourages you and builds up your faith. It's our goal to help you live so that no one misses the grace of God. Enjoy the sermon. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. If you've been with us, we've been in a series called Refresh, and we're looking at rest as God's best for us through the concept of Sabbath. And so if you haven't been with us, just kind of a real quick recap of what, where we've been. We looked at Sabbath as a concept. It's, it's ceasing. It's stopping. It's resting. You know, not doing work, not doing labor. Um, and we saw Jesus introducing this concept as he is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who kind of gets to say how things go. And he wants to shift our paradigm. Oftentimes when we work or when we're going through life, we are working for the weekend. We're, we're shooting through our work to get to rest. But Jesus wants to shift our thinking, shift our view to work out of our rest. No longer is Sunday or whatever day you might Sabbath, whatever that that day is, that is not the last day of the week. It's the first day of the week. It's the starting place. And Jesus wants us to see that that rest is actually for our good and we're to be refreshed and, and filled up with it. We're to enjoy it. This is what God did. It says that he rested on the seventh day, he creates everything and has a seven day pattern. And on on the seventh day, he rested to enjoy what he he had made. But we also see that Sabbath, this resting idea, the ceasing, is not simply just something that we do, there's something that happens to us. And Sabbath, the practice, helps us live out of our identity, of who we are in Jesus. And particularly last week, how Jesse, uh, Pastor Jesse talked about, it cultivates trust in us. So we looked at an Old Testament uh, practice where they would let the land itself, they were farmers, they'd let the land itself rest every seven years. I mean, can you imagine that as a farmer? Like, I'm not planting anything this year. That is an act of trust. And the year of Jubilee, every seven cycles of those seven years, 50, 50 years or so, They would have this full-on release. Everything would be reset. Those who were slaves were set free. Wherever there was debt, it was forgiven. Like this this sort of practice of restoration. Sabbath encompasses all of that. So if you've been with us, we've been challenging everybody to practice Sabbath. Like to take a day off where you're not working, where you're, you're enjoying the Lord, enjoying your family, enjoying friends, doing things that fill you up. We've been encouraging you to do that. Now, maybe you haven't been doing that. That's okay. You could start right now. Um, But if you have, I'm curious, how's it been going? For some of you, it's probably been like, oh, this has been awesome, like really enjoyed it, look forward to it each week. Some of you, it might be really challenging. A a couple of weeks ago, we had our, our fall fest here at the church. Well, the week before that was total on prep process for me and for our staff. And it fell on my Sabbath day. So I'm kind of like, okay, well, what do I do? It was hard to Sabbath that week, right? And that's going to happen sometimes. Life just shifts a little bit. But I'm just curious, how's it been going for you? Even if it's been going well, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, has this been the, the mindset for you? It's like, oh, man, I love my Sabbath. I love my Sunday or whatever day it is. But then I got to go back to work. I got I to I step back in. It's like just a slog through the week, right? And you're like, I want to get back to Sabbath. I want to get back to that Sunday. I want to suggest to you that Sabbath isn't just that. Like, it's not something where we're just one day out of the week, we get this filling kind of rest. and It's like, okay, it feels good. But then the rest of the week, it's like, ah. I want to suggest to you that today we're going to open up this idea that Sabbath is not just a day, but it's actually a life. Sabbath is not limited to one 24-hour period but it's actually to permeate everything, to permeate everything that we do all of our week. That's what we're going to look at today. And so I just want to ask the question, how do we practice Sabbath beyond the Sabbath day? I mean, what what does it look like for us to rest, to embody rest, the rest of the week? To do that, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. If you're kind of getting used to your Bible, so it's kind of in the back portion here, maybe start at the back, that's Revelation, and just keep turning a few books. You're going to go through some little ones. Hebrews is a little bit thicker. It's seven books in. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to look at how Sabbath is not limited just to a day. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 real quick, just a little bit of context. The author here is, is looking at two different things from the Old Testament. One, a story, the wilderness wandering. So if you know what that's about, bring that to mind. We'll fill it out in just a second. And then also Psalm 95. He's kind of quoting from it and like drawing some concepts from it. So he's building on that. So some of this might not make sense yet, but follow along, okay? All right. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, the Israelites in the wilderness. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who, were formerly, who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through the prophet David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, in, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. All right, what is going on here, right? Okay, so remember the background. We're, we're talking about a story. So real quick refresher. Egypt. Israel's is in Egypt. They're slaves. Um, they're, they're subject to, to the Egyptians and they're working for them. And, and what happens? God steps in. And he says, I want them free. And so he does miraculous kinds of things and he brings them through the Red Sea and he sets them free. And he brings them to a mountain. And he says, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. Let's have a relationship with one another. And we call that the covenant. And God says, we're going to do this together. And I'm going to show you how life should go. Here's how you live. But it didn't stop there. So once they had kind of started this relationship, God said, all right, I want to take you to a land. I'm going to give you a land. I promised it to Abraham. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to live there. And so they set out. But what happens along the way? They don't trust God. They disobey him. They don't follow him. They kind of do things their own way, and they mess things up. And God says, ah, we've got to do some training. We We can't operate this way. Like, this relationship has to work. So we need to wait. And so they wander for 40 years. What should have taken them a handful of weeks, they just go back and forth and all over the place, and They wander. 40 years. That generation that was rescued out of Egypt, they aren't the ones who actually step in the land. They all die, including Moses. And it's their children who step into the promised land. The author of Hebrews is bringing this story to mind. And he's looking and saying, okay, they were given good news. God saved them. God rescued them. He made them his people. But they messed it up. They disobeyed and then we get comments like, they're not going to enter my rest. Now, in the Old Testament, rest and the promised land were put together. So a, a, an original reader would be hearing rest and promised land and be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm putting those two things together. But then the author of Hebrews is also looking at Psalm 95. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But Psalm 95 is reflecting on this same story. And is saying like, hmm, okay, there's something else going on here. Because God... He's like, they're never going to enter my rest. But they did. They went to the promised land. What's that all about? The psalmist is realizing that there's more going on than just entering a physical land, a physical kind of resting. There's something bigger. And he's he's opening that up. So I want to look at Psalm 95 real quick. We're going to turn there if you want to. The words will be up on the screen. But we'll look at the second half of the psalm, Psalm 95, 7 and following. So Psalm 95, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day in Massa in the wilderness. So he's reflecting on the story. They messed things up. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I had done. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So the psalmist here is looking at the story and he's saying, okay, God, he took them into the promised land, but he's saying this like they're not entering my rest because they're disobedient. If you know what happens, eventually Joshua leads them in. They become a nation, but what do they do? They continue to disobey. They're not following the Lord. And so he's looking at this saying, Ah, there's something deeper here. The psalmist realizes that rest, true rest, isn't just entering a land. It's not having some farm, farmland. There's something bigger. The author of Hebrews is picking up on this, and he provides us with the answer. What is this rest? Because ultimately, he comes to this conclusion in verse 9. There is a Sabbath rest still to come for the people of God psalmist is saying, like, there's something still to remain. The author of Hebrews says, and I know who it is. And I know what it's about. You see, he calls to mind the, the creation story and God resting on the seventh day. Rest is not primarily about activity. It's not about doing something or not doing something. It's about completion. God, he created the world and he rested. He enjoyed it. There's wholeness the way things are supposed to be. And what we see with this rest with God, I think is it's dwelling with him and living the kind of life that we're to live with him. That's what rest is ultimately about. Rest is dwelling with God and living the kind of life he calls us to. That's what he was doing in the wilderness. When, when they're wandering, he's wanting to show them like resting is being with me. It's living the life that I want you to live. It's not simply just not moving. We're not doing labor. It's better. And so we see that rest is actually this deeper reality. And so when the book of Hebrews comes along, there's a Sabbath rest still to come. Because he's looking at the story and saying, Joshua led them in, but there needs to be a greater Joshua. There needs to be someone who shows up who brings about this true Sabbath rest. Jesus His name, we say Jesus. Do you know where that comes from? It's actually from the Latin. And it's a a word that was transliterated from the Greek. So Greek to Latin to English, Jesus. Do you know what people in Jesus' time would have said? Yeshua. That's his name, Yeshua. It's where we get our name, Joshua. Jesus is the greater Joshua. He is the one that Joshua was pointing to. Like, I'm bringing people into rest Jesus is the one who actually accomplishes it. You see, when Jesus shows up into the world, he sees brokenness. He sees toil, strife, and striving. That's what happened when we decided to go our own way as human beings. Things were supposed to work a certain way. Work was supposed to be good. We were to partner with God. We were to live with him. And we decide we're going to do things on our own. And there's toil. There's emptiness. Work becomes burden. Jesus wants to step in and say, I want to fix that. I want to give you rest. I want to take away all of this stuff that's in the way and provide the solution. He goes on a cross. And in him is death, sin, brokenness, evil, and it's all destroyed. In Jesus, he takes all of those things and undoes them all. So that when he comes back to life, he gives us life and true rest. Rest with God. Dwelling with him, living the kind of life that we're to live with him. This is true rest. This is the Sabbath rest that Hebrews points to. It's what we call salvation. It's what Jesus has come to bring because he is the true and greater Joshua. He brings us rest. Rest for our souls, rest for our bodies, rest for who we are. This is what Sabbath rest is really about. And so if Sabbath rest is this greater reality, Sabbath is not just a day. It's not just one day out of the week where we kind of pause, we stop doing things. Actually, it is a life lift. Well, what, is, what does that look like? Or, or how does this actually happen? I want to throw three texts up on the screen for you. We're going to look at them real quick. But they're building this kind of idea. Because I'm wondering one thing. When you start to hear about salvation or, or this bigger rest, what do you think of? I thought of heaven. Like, oh, it's, it's heaven, right? It's, it's where we're going. It's where all this is, is playing out, right? Well, three different texts I want to look at real quick. So the first one is in Hebrews. You can turn there, but don't feel like you have to. But Hebrews 13, 14. We get this kind of picture for here, we do not have an enduring city here in this life. We don't have an enduring city. We are looking for a city that is to come. So he's kind of calling to mind Jerusalem, like this, this doesn't endure. We're looking for a city that is to come. Okay, so that's the first one. Next one, Philippians chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't belong to this country, we don't belong to this land, we are citizens of heaven, this land to come. So a city that doesn't endure, we're looking for something that does, we're looking for a country that we belong to. But then Peter steps in, and he gives us some of this language. So here, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which weigh war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So we see this building of like, there's a greater reality. There's a city that we're looking forward to. Heaven is to come. But then Peter says, you're foreigners and exiles and live in this way. How can he say that? Or or what's he trying to point to? I think we live in light of the future now. We live for a reality that is to come right now. We're looking forward to the coming king, the kingdom that he's going to bring, Jesus. He's coming back and he's going to bring about a reality. It's not something that's just going to stay up here in this abstract kind of ethereal we're going to live on clouds and play harps kind of thing. No, 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 no. That is not what heaven is. Heaven is a reality like this one. We'll come together, heaven and earth, wedded to one thing. It's going to look like this, and we're looking forward to that. But we begin to live in light of that reality now. Maybe to help you kind of understand this. So uh, how well you know your history? World War II. So Germany, they've taken over Europe. They've spread everywhere. Like they, they have just marched across the continent. And so the U.S., they step into the war And there's constant battles and there's back and forth, but there was a pivotal moment that happened. We call it D-Day. D-Day is when the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy and they took the beach. They secured their position. Many reflected on this day as the end of the war. The war is over. The war is won. Because of the security that they had in their position, because of the reality that they were going to be able to march across Europe. Nothing was going to stop them. When they had secured that beach, there was nothing getting in their way, and they were going to march to Berlin. The war wasn't finished, but the war was won. Several months later, they would march. They'd head through Germany, they'd land at Berlin, and the war was over, at least in Europe. We live in a similar kind of reality. Jesus, he has won. Nothing stops him now. Yet, sin, death, evil, brokenness, these things still are around, right? They don't have power. They can't stop him. We are marching across Europe. We are marching through life. We are awaiting that day where finally everything is as it should be, victory day. The war is won. It's not quite over we live in that same kind of reality. We live for the reality to come. It's not just this heaven, like, to come, like, okay, maybe someday. Like, no, it matters now. We're to live in that reality now. And so how do we do that? We do it by hope and expectation for our future now. Sabbath is a part of that. Sabbath is this reality that says we are a certain kind of people. We are not oppressed by our work. It does not have authority over us. Rather, we serve the Lord. Sabbath is a practice that points us to what is to come. This is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. Sabbath rest to come. We live in light of the future right now. And we do that by hope and expectation. But what does that really look like? Like, how do we take Sabbath to not just be a day, but allow it to shape everything? How does Sabbath bleed into the rest of the week? I have some thoughts for you. um, And these are just some suggestions that help us capture, I think, what the hope uh, of, of Sabbath really is. So number one, how do we practice Sabbath throughout the week? Slow down. Slow down. I think as, as people, we just, we're, we're go, go, go. We're driven. We've got to be productive. We've got to maximize our day. What happens if we just slow down? I mean, if you picture it, like you're headed somewhere. you got to go to work or you got to kids to soccer practice, something like that. And it's like, okay, we got to go. We're going to be late. And you're just like driving like crazy. And ha- have you ever paused and just did the math? You get there like 30 seconds earlier. I mean, if you, if you slow down and really say, like, if, if I'm driving, like, five or ten miles over the speed limit, what happens if I just slow down to the speed limit? It's like the difference of a minute. Do you realize that? Now, what is it like to be in that seat, driving like crazy? You're, you're, you're revved up and you're driven. It's like, ah, you know, crazy. What happens if you just drive a little slower? You leave just a minute or two earlier. What kind of place are you in? We're slowed down. We're, we're at rest. We're Sabbathing. Number one. Number two, build in margin. So Tuesday for me is, tends to be a meeting day at, at church. Um, we've got our preaching team and then our staff meeting. And a lot of times I've got an evening meeting. And I'll just put some other appointments on there. Well, a couple of Tuesdays ago, I was just like slammed. I had meeting, 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 boom, boom, boom. And I just got to the end of the day and I was like, wow, that was a lot. And I'm just like, whew. And I had the conviction knowing I was going to preach this message of like, are you going slow enough? Are you operating the way that you need to? And I felt like, you know what? It would have been really helpful for me to build in some margin. To just add a little bit of a window between those meetings. Maybe I don't have to try and get them all on that one day. But just allow them to have 15 or 30 minutes in between. And not do anything. Just slow down to have margin and rest. There's a an app that I've been using. It's a really helpful thing to kind of do this margin thing and to reorient to God. So it's called the Pause app, and I, I suggest it to you. Um, you can just get on your app store and find the Pause app or the One Minute Pause. But basically, what this app does is it just prompts me to slow down for one minute, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. I can decide how long to pause, and it'll just guide me through a prayer. Just Lord, I'm I'm recentering onto you. I'm reconnecting with you. I'm pausing. I'm pausing. I suggest that to you. This is a helpful way to build in the margin that I think we need. And the one thing about this app is you can have it prompt you, like it'll send you a reminder, hey, take a pause. You can do that once in an afternoon and once in the morning. It's a really helpful tool. So the pause app, I suggest that to you. So that's number two, build in margin. Number three, disconnect from your phone, social media, and political news. Now I realize I just told you to get an app for your phone, but I, I you know, put your phone down at the same time too, right? But that's the thing. Like, how easy is it for us to pull our phones and just start scrolling? You know, when we have a moment, we're kind of not doing anything. We're sitting in a waiting room. We just we scroll. This is doing something to us. We have to fill our lives. We feel this need of constant attention and stimulation. Sabbathing is putting that thing down, allowing it to just sit there, to rest, to be content. And I would say that. The same is true for our political news. We live in a culture and a time where things are divisive. Everybody's angry. Everything's messed up. Nobody's happy and we're just ah, getting fired up. What happens when we just watch that constantly? It forms us. It shapes us. So I suggest turn off Fox News. Turn off CNN. Just disconnect from that for a while. Or find other ways to find out the news. Because it's good to be informed, but... The whole point is they're just feeding our anger. They make money off that. Disconnect from that. Sabbath. Rest. So that's number three. Disconnect. Number four. Simplicity. Enjoy the little things. So my wife and I, we um, oftentimes when we put the kids down, if we've got some time, we might just hang out, talk for a little bit. But we've been sitting in our family room or our sunroom. Uh, we were sitting outside when it was a bit warmer. But we noticed something. There was an owl That lives in one of the trees behind our house. And if we're quiet, we can hear it. And we can just take that in. And and one thing that I noticed, like, I just appreciate that. A little thing, like an owl living in our backyard, just hearing it make its noise, like, (sighs) there's enjoyment, there's contentment. So simplicity, choose to enjoy the little things. That's number four. Number five, and this one's probably the most important. Let Jesus grow your character. We talk about this as a whole life thing because it is a whole life thing and it's shaping us to have a kind of life. And that comes from Jesus. So commit all of the time. Commit to a devotional time. Commit to prayer time. But allow Jesus to step in and say, all right, let's work on this. It's going to be hard. There mean, times you're not going to like what he's going to say. But I picture it like Jesus is coming in and he's cleaning the house. Cleaning the house of our heart one room at a time. It's like, all right, let's go tackle the family room. We're just going to dust. We're going to vacuum. We're going to get all the junk out. A little bit at a time, he's growing us. And we're becoming more and more like him. We've got to let him do it. Let him in. Let him into the room. Let him do his work. So let Jesus grow your character. This is how Sabbath doesn't remain just one day but it permeates all that we do. We've been talking about this verse over and over again. Jesse's brought it up a number of times, but this is the promise. It's Matthew 11. It's what Jesus tells us. It's what he reminds us. He says that we can come to him, all of us who are weary and burdened, and he will give us rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is the invitation. This is the promise. Sabbath is not just a day. It permeates into all of life. He wants to give that to us. So commit to the practice of Sabbath. Each week, take a day, rest, Find things that you enjoy, but allow Sabbath to permeate everything. Slow down. Rest in each day. And do that with Jesus. Because Sabbath is not just a day. It's a life. Thanks for listening. For more information about New Life Washington, check out our website at newlifeonline.org. God bless.